Farhan Zaidi is right. The Giants are going to be a top home run hitting team in 2023. You are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and on the show, we provide episodes three days a week for now, back to five when pitchers and catchers report very soon here, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get podcasts. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. And coming up on today's show, it is a mailbag edition of this show. Thank you so much to everyone who submitted questions. The first couple of questions, uh, first one from Evergreen Old Boys, who says, does Farhan Sang that the G-Men will be in the home run leaderboard discussion. Does that pass your smell test? And then Eric relatedly asks, how many potential 20 home run guys do you think they have in the lineup? Would you put Bart into that category? And so, as I said, I do believe that Farhan Zaidi is is right here, that they are going to be a top home run hitting team. It It honestly surprises me. I've seen this written a bunch of times that like, They had this huge power collapse in 2022, and it was a big reason for their struggles. But that's not really the case. They hit 183 home runs last season, which was 12th in the major leagues. And when you combine that with the fact that Oracle Park, while it's become, you know, slightly less pitcher friendly in recent years, it's still not a great place to hit homers. And if you think it is, I can give you the evidence that it's not. And so to be 12th in the league in Major League Baseball, obviously not just the NL, in homers, despite, you know, they had, just think about who they replaced in the lineup, right? So Conforto and Haniger are two guys who Farhan Zaidi pointed this out when he said this on the radio, that these guys have 30 homer seasons. And Conforto, he averaged like 29 homers a year over a, over a stretch of several years. And Haniger is two seasons removed from hitting 39 home runs. And also the Giants in 2021, they led the National League and they set a franchise record with home runs. And so it's really not that crazy of a statement at all. Oh, what I was saying was think of who Haniger and Conforto are replacing because they didn't have like free agent outfielders hit the market and leave. And then these guys are just replacing them. They really just added these guys to the mix they already had in the outfield. And so, you know, it's the Darren Ruff of the world, although, of course, he was dealt midseason. We look at uh, Luis Gonzalez. Luis Gonzalez hit four homers last season for the Giants, and he loses playing time because of the additions of Conforto and Hanniger. And Jock Peterson moves to the DH spot, and he can hit homers. So I really do believe that if guys can stay healthy, that they could easily be a top five team in Major League Baseball in terms of hitting home runs. It's kind of an underrated attribute of the San Francisco Giants. And even last year, people acting like they had no power to speak of. They were still a significantly better than average home run hitting team. And then the question about how many 20 home run guys do they have? 
potential 20 home run guys do they have in the lineup? Honestly, I believe that Estrada uh, could be a home run guy. It would take a little bit of a leap. He hit 14, though, last season, and that would be obviously huge if he could turn into a home a 20 homer type of guy but I'm not going to put him in that category but he's a guy who could do it and sneakily hit 14 which is nothing to slouch at uh nothing to scoff at I should say so Yastrzemski he's a 20 home run guy Hanniger 20 home run guy Peterson a 20 home run guy Conforto 20 home run guy Wilmer Flores I'm going to look at his yeah he's never hit 20 but he consistently hits uh 15 to 19 so you know like Estrada he's a guy who's probably going to give you that around 15 home run total Brandon Crawford has the ability to do it but I wouldn't bank on it certainly he hit 24 in 2021 but only 9 in 2022 so I'm definitely not going to count him Lamont Wade Jr he has the all of these guys have power that's kind of the thing to note here he only hit 18 even in that kind of breakout 2021 so I'm not going to count him Joey Bart he has the potential, certainly, but the the issue is, like, can he get to that power? And so I'm going to say no, I'm not going to – it's not likely, but he obviously has power and the potential to do it, but it would take a lot for a lot of improvement for him to get to 20 home runs. But uh, David VR is another guy I'm looking at. Like, if he hits 20 home runs this year or more, that's a huge key to success for the Giants and for him personally in his career, uh, but that, I'm not going to bank on that. J.D. Davis, I'm not going to bank on it either because it's going to be more of a part-time role, probably. And so I guess I'm going with Yaz, Hanniger, Peterson, and Conforto with 20-plus. And some of those guys are 30-plus potential, 25 to 30. And then you've got Estrada and Flores and others who are going to give you double digits as well. And so add it all up, and it's a lot of homers. Anyway, next question comes from Manny, who says, do you think the Giants will finally change the fan experience at Oracle, or are we still living in 2010? I haven't heard of any changes. Have you? And all I have to go by, Manny, you've asked similar questions before, and I'm with you 100%. Like, we are living in 2010. It's crazy to me that you're still playing don't stop believing. And when the lights go down and just like nothing has changed. And if you look across the league, you look at other teams, the Dodgers, the Braves and the LED lights, and they turn the lights down when a reliever comes in and they do like a light show kind of thing. The Braves have their, you know, racing Mr. Freeze or whatever the freeze where which is a huge hit. So the Giants, they haven't innovated at all. And I, I hate to call anybody specifically out, but they need to have an uncomfortable conversation if the person who's in charge of the whole experience during the game isn't willing to change anything. And as far as I know, they I wouldn't expect changes because I, I read this in an Andy Baggerly mailbag question. Somebody asked a similar question and Baggerly said that he poked around and has heard that, you know, don't expect anything major. But it seemed like that question was more about like actual stuff at the ballpark and less about like the experience and the video board and the entertainment like in game from your seat. So we can only hope I have other gripes as well, like the home, the behind home plate camera that they show way too frequently during broadcast. There's a lot of things that the Giants kind of do that maybe aren't at the at the head of the class here in terms of uh you know, watch a Mets broadcast and they just do a better job, frankly. So again, I hate to call anybody specifically out, but 
watching on TV and being at the ballpark is not a first-rate experience anymore, and a lot of it is just stale at the ballpark. Like, come on, it's time. It's a totally new era and decade and every and team and front office. Like, everything is different from the championship era, and yet we're still, like, doing the enter- entertainment uh, programs as if it was 15, 10, 15 years ago. So, anyway... Coming up in just a minute, we are going to address the Zips projections, not just for the Giants, but for the rest of the NL West. And if I agree or disagree with what those projections are saying, are the Dodgers going to take a significant step back in 2023? We'll get into it in just a minute. But before we do, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. This year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. We are really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sportsbook in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that's even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. Download FanDuel now so you can get a uh, bet Super Bowl 57 with a no sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line, point spreads, to who or who will score a touchdown. And even if you're a baseball junkie like me, you can bet right now on rookie of the year probabilities. And I talked about this the other day, but I see a real opportunity here with Kyle Harrison at plus 4,500. The implied odds there are 2.2%. So I would put him at much higher odds than that. Obviously, I'm not calling him the favorite. There are a lot of good rookies who figure to make an impact in 2023, but 2.2% in terms of among rookies is pretty low for Harrison. Does not make sense at all that Marco Luciano is listed here as more likely than Harrison to win 2023 Rookie of the Year. So that's just one of the many things you can check out at FanDuel. So join today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, as promised, more questions and answers. Are the Dodgers going to take a significant step back in 2023? Thanks for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day. Lockdown MLB Prospects host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. So yes, I have kind of glanced through the Zips projections for these other teams. Obviously, we did in-depth kind of looks at at the Giants. We did a whole episode yesterday about their pitchers. We did an episode last week about their position players. But also, it's not important, but interesting to look at the Padres, the Dodgers, the D-backs, the Rockies. And I have looked them over. And yeah, something to point out is that the Dodgers had a very, very odd offseason for them. And no doubt in my mind, they take a significant step back. But the starting point for them was like a 110 win type team. And so you could lose 20 wins and still arguably be better than the Giants. And so uh, I'm not sure they lose 20 wins, but I don't expect them to be a 110 win team. They lost Trey Turner, you know, back to back off seasons. They lose Corey Seager and then they lose Trey Turner. They clearly like had an emphasis on they want to, really force the issue with some young players. And so we're going to see like Gavin Lux as the shortstop. We're going to see Miguel Vargas as the second baseman. Max Muncy's going to play third. Yes, they've got Freddie Freeman at first and Mookie Betts in the outfield, but 
their other outfielders are kind of question marks themselves with Trace Thompson and Chris Taylor, who had a really down year. They bring in J.D. Martinez as a kind of pure DH, and their starting rotation is kind of not as deep even as the Giants. And that's something that Dan Zimborski in these Zips projection write-ups said was that the Giants' rotation is deeper than the Padres or the Dodgers. And so I think the Dodgers are more like they fell back to the pack a little bit in terms of the talent in the NL West. I still think they're the best team, but I think they, them and the Padres, like on paper, it's kind of close. And normally the Dodgers are just kind of runaway favorites. But if we look at the San Diego Padres, they obviously have some, some real star talent. They've got Juan Soto. They've got Manny Machado. They bring in Xander Bogarts, but you know, the rest of their lineup isn't that great. And then you look at their bench and it's it's kind of a bunch of question marks. They've depleted their farm system. And then their starting rotation is very thin. We look at you Darvish, Joe Musgrove, Blake Snell. It's strong. But behind them, we're talking Nick Martinez, Seth Lugo, Adrian Morejon. So they do not have that kind of depth. And so if they lose one or even two plus starters, then they could be in trouble. And so both of these teams are not I mean, they have their flaws, the Dodgers and the Padres, and then the Zips projections for the D-backs are pretty strong, and I think they're kind of neck and neck with the Giants, maybe a little below the Giants, but the D-backs have just a ton of young talent. They've got a guy who's arguably a top two, three prospect in the game in Corbin Carroll. They've got other young talent, so I like the D-backs, and then the Rockies are just kind of the laughing stock of the division, and they figure to be the last, last place team, but it's overall a strong division. But there are a lot of paths to the playoffs that go beyond just winning the division, right? So you win the division, that's only one way to get to the playoffs. But then three non-division winners make it. So you could literally have a scenario where the uh, first, second, third, and fourth place teams in, in one division could make the playoffs. And so it's not as important as you might think to win the division. So I don't, I do not spend too much time worrying about what the other teams in the division are doing, especially now there's less intra division games a far fewer, five fewer per team. And so you're going to see 10 fewer games than normal against the Dodgers and the Padres. And also, unfortunately the Rockies, although Coors Field is always a tough place to play. But anyway, I, I do agree generally with the Zips projections, and it's obvious the Dodgers definitely, like they didn't make any additions and they had any meaningful additions and they had some meaningful subtractions. So they, they clearly got worse. Next question comes from Dave, who says, does Farhan keep his job if the Giants miss the playoffs again in 2023? If so, how much rope do you think he has past 2023 if the team isn't a contender in the next few seasons? And relatedly, Vinny says, what overall grade do you give Farhan Zaidi entering season number five? Does he see number six if the Giants miss the playoffs this year? A lot of people had the same kind of question. And yeah, I mean, I don't think that they just straight up fire him if they miss the playoffs. That's kind of black and white thinking, right? Like it kind of depends. What does the season look like? Does, Does their farm system continue to take steps backwards or do... A lot of guys progress, and so maybe you miss the playoffs, and yet you have some excitement. Like maybe Kyle Harrison establishes himself, and and you get really excited about him going into 2024. Maybe, you know, Casey Schmidt breaks through. Maybe Marco Luciano has a big, healthy year, and he's right on the cusp of the majors. So I wouldn't look at it so black and white, depending on on playoffs or not for the major league team. But 
And even if like a lot of things go wrong, I don't think they would quite be there yet with firing Farhan Zaidi. I think that generally they're happy with the job that he's done in that. I mean, a, you know, a big part of it is they, you know, if there's these like limitations on spending, you're directing your anger at the wrong person. If you're directing it at Farhan Zaidi, it's not his money, it's ownership's money. And so if there really is some kind of spending limit that they're capping Zaidi at, then you know, he's doing the best he can within those parameters. And it's hard, like, I don't know. So I think the question is most interesting when you say how much rope beyond season five, if they continue to not be a contender, that would be a problem. If they miss the playoffs in 2023, and then 2024 comes around 2025, 2026, and they're just not contenders any of those years, then yes, I think at that point, you would see them do something. But I don't anticipate that that'll be the case. And I think that, you know, they're probably going to go hard after more top talent next winter because clearly the incentive was there this winter. They they did just about everything they could, including like agreeing to terms on a $350 million deal. So I think it'll just be more of the same. And I think they value stability. They don't just want to be firing people kind of willy-nilly. They, they believe in, in Zaidi and this group and... You know, we've seen what can happen and go right with 2021. Clearly, there's there's some ability to kind of get the most out of guys like we saw in 2021. But if we're looking at three, four more years where they're just not good, then then at that point, it would be obvious that you got to turn the page and move on. So the uh, next question is about next year's top free agent, and that is Shohei Otani. Bay Area Fam says, what contract will it take to get Otani? And so we will get into what I think it's going to take to land this guy uh, who is a free agent next offseason in just a minute. But before we do. All right, as promised, what is it going to take to land Shohei Otani? This is the $500 million question, perhaps. Uh, Shohei Otani, uh, of course, going to be a free agent at the end of the 2023 season. Very unlikely that he agrees to an extension with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim before uh, the season gets going. And so he's probably going to hit free agency. And the thing is, he's going to be in very high demand. But, you know, we talk about a team like the Mets who could be involved, but they're in this luxury tax situation where every dollar they spend is much more than that. But I still wouldn't rule them out. And then we've also heard, we heard at the time when Shohei Otani first showed up here, that he kind of preferred West Coast. And of course, the Giants were finalists to get him despite uh, being coming off a 98 loss season, right? That was yeah, it was after the 98 loss season in 2017 that Otani was available. Seems to be this huge misperception that the Angels like gave him the biggest contract. He took a league minimum salary. He took a rookie contract. He was making league minimum salaries for three years and then arbitration for three years, just like a, any other rookie coming out of the minor leagues. That's the contract Otani took, even though he could have gotten, he could have received bids but he wanted it that way and so very strange but kind of noble thing to do I suppose and he's going to reach free agency and your question was what is the contract going to take and I think that the market was kind of set by one Mr. Aaron Judge because Aaron Judge ended up getting a contract 
of $40 million per year uh, from the New York Yankees entering his, what was it, his age 31 season. And so for Otani, he's going to be entering his age 29 season. So he's even younger. So I just really think that average annual value of, of around $40 million, which easily set a record, but maybe over a longer term, if Aaron Judge was able to get nine, maybe Shohei Otani gets 12 or something like that at $40 million a year. Let's just do that quick math. We're looking at $480 million if it's 12 years, $40 million a year. And so I honestly think it might end up taking something like that. But what I wonder, like the Giants have had this reluctance to sign pitchers to long-term deals. And if if Otani becomes just a hitter, while he's a great hitter, he doesn't play the field. And so he's really a great DH. And your value is capped tremendously if you're just a DH and you're not pitching. I mean, Otani has so much value if he's pitching and hitting like he is. He's, I mean, in terms of the talent, like it's easy to say the most talented player perhaps in the history of the game. So I don't know. I think that that $40 million a year number, but like again, I just like question whether the Giants Ultimately, if you're giving out that kind of contract, you're looking at a long-term deal for a pitcher, very long-term. They've hesitated seemingly at like five, six years. And if we're talking 12 years where you're banking on the arm, because if he stops being a pitcher or becomes ineffective as a pitcher or whatever, and he's just a hitter, I don't know, maybe you believe he can play in, in the field in that case. Maybe you believe he could be a really good outfielder if he can't pitch anymore or he could play first. But your value is cut dramatically if if that's the case. Although Judge was just an outfielder, but a good one. I don't know. It's complicated. Shohei Otani is a complicated player to evaluate, especially 12 years into a contract, potentially. So I don't know. I'll go with somewhere between 400 and $500 million for Shohei Otani, given that he's a couple years younger than Judge was at this free agent, at this you know, in his free agency versus Aaron Judges. And I think it's hard to argue that he deserves a lesser AAV than what Judge got. And so it's going to be crazy, but that's the way it is. So Aiden, next question says, who is Ben Caspic's favorite addition this offseason? So I assume you mean to the Giants. A few people asked, like, who's what's the best pickup of the offseason? And I assume you mean for the Giants. My personal favorite, I've kind of, you know, they didn't make any singular large splash. And so none of them like super, super stand out, but they just made several solid additions. What I, the guy I've come around to liking the most is actually Mitch Hanniger. And the reason for that, and this is something I didn't really know until the Giants signed him and I dove a little bit deeper into the numbers. But what I like the best about Mitch Hanniger is that he's way better than average against both lefties and righties. And so there's just no question he's an everyday type of player. He's also had some big seasons in the past, like I just mentioned in the open, 39 home runs a couple years ago. But I would argue that wasn't even his best offensive season uh, because maybe the on-base percentage was a little bit down that year. And if you look at some of the years that Hanniger has had in the past, I mean, he's just been a monster at the plate. And he's also had some really good kind of defensive seasons in the corners. And he's dealt with some real fluky injuries at times in his career. Yeah, I would say in 2018, when he hit 26 homers, it was actually a better offensive season than in 2021 when he hit 39. But he's had 
when he's had fully healthy seasons, he's put up kind of huge numbers. And so I just like the upside there and the fact that he's an everyday guy, the fact that he's a local guy, the fact that it's a guaranteed two years and maybe a third year as well. I don't know. And then he's known as like a great leader and clubhouse guy and a really hard worker. And so I think he's just going to have a positive influence throughout the organization. Key is going to be health, but if he's healthy, then this guy is potentially an impact player and one who's just going to hit no matter who's on the mound, whether it's a lefty or a righty, he's an above average bat and, and hits for a lot of power. And so I like it. The next question coming from Sam, who says, which young guys not named Harrison, Schmidt, or VR do you expect to have the biggest impact for the Giants in 2023? And I think the answer is in the bullpen. It's kind of a boring answer, I suppose, but uh, Cole Waits and RJ Dabovich and even Thomas Zapucky, I think that those, specifically the two righties there in Dabovich and Waits, you could see them take the Camilo Duvall path in which they you know, they get a taste of major league action. Remember, Duvall struggled in his first little cup of coffee, kind of like Cole Waits maybe looked a little bit overwhelmed initially, but that's to be expected. But both of these guys have big arms, Waits and Dabovich, and the Giants obviously need help in the bullpen. But imagine if suddenly you've got, you know, multiple young homegrown relievers coming in and blowing smoke. And then you've got your like Taylor Rogers of the world, Tyler Rogers, uh, Scott Alexander, you got some starters in the pen potentially because of how deep your pitching staff is and maybe Harrison comes up and bumps somebody else out. And so, yeah, you mentioned the three I would probably name first. I don't know if you count Tyro Estrada. I think he has another gear. Like I mentioned, I think there is 20 homer talent possibly in there. And he also steals bases and is kind of athletic. And so, I don't know, there's there's quite a few young guys that I'm intrigued by on the Giants. But I do think that Dabovich and Cole Waits are, are two guys to pay attention to this year. There are others as well, but those are the ones who come to mind for me. Last question from J.R. Nelson says, what is the Giants Achilles heel for 2023? And it, it can be hard to name these in advance. Like I would I did not see this coming last year in terms of how bad they were defensively because it was largely the same group from 2021. Guys like Darren Ruff were surprisingly good defensively in 2021. Wilmer Flores was fine, even though he had a rough 2020. So I think defensively they've they've shored that up enough to the point where I wouldn't necessarily call it call it their Achilles heel. I wouldn't call it a strength either. But I don't see it being as much of a problem as it was in 2022. Although I think infield, middle infield defense, they could still use like a true backup shortstop and guy who can play multiple positions, in my opinion. But I think if they have an Achilles heel, it would just be on the position player side, not having that impact talent. I think, you know, Hanniger might not be great defensively he's had some ups and downs and so if he doesn't give you a healthy season or you know a great defensive season and same with Conforto guys you know they're coming off injuries and so if they're just not quite right or they're they miss time or whatever you could end up seeing the same kind of deal similar to last year where you just look at that position player group and there just wasn't anybody who was that guy that guy who just had a monster season and and kind of carried the team at times and so just kind of lack of star talent in the position player mix, lack of true impact talent in the position player mix, I think looks like their Achilles heel. Obviously, they made attempts to address that with their pursuits of 
judge and their somewhat successful, I suppose, pursuit of Correa before it fell apart. But they ultimately didn't get that guy. And so that looks to me like their Achilles heel. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. Now make your second listen Locked on MLB Prospects. Host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. Check me out on Twitter at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. If you like this show, please consider rating it or leaving a review. It helps me out a lot. So thank you in advance, and thanks to everyone who's done so already. Can't wait to be with you again next week. Thanks again for listening. You are now Locked on Giants.